What's going on, everybody? You've tuned into episode 13 of Authentic Footsteps, Following Jesus for Real, and I am your host, Nico Williams. Today, we've got a topic that is, I just got to say, it's hotter than the underbelly of a bulldog in the middle of July. But we have also got a guest host that is just a gift from God. She's a gift to our church. She's a gift to her community. And today she is going to be a gift to your eardrums. My guest host is one of the most awe-inspiring and amazing persons that I know. She truly is a great ball of Holy Ghost fire. I want to introduce to you guys Anna Hopper. What's up, Anna? Hello! That was like the best introduction I think I've ever heard. You're so kind. Well, thank you. Thank you. You are you are the the I, I tell you, you're just an inspiration to man, all of our church. I think I, I'm just always blown away whenever you get an opportunity to hear you speak at all. So um mm. I'm just grateful that you decided to to join the podcast today. For sure, for sure. I'm looking forward to it. Let's go ahead and get into it. To my um, my questions, I always ask this to every 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 guest host that comes on: is um, what is what is one experience that has shaped who you are today? Um, so obviously the church answer is my salvation. Um, but outside of that, I would say um, life experience has just been. Andrew and I were so blessed to spend five years on staff at the summit in Raleigh, Durham. Mm under J.D. Greer. And I feel like in those five years, I look back and I learned so much about what it meant to live that gospel-centered life, living in community. Um, And then also too, you know, what it looks like to be a woman in ministry and then someone who's married to a lead pastor. Um, I was just really blessed in the time there to have formed a relationship with J.D.'s wife, but then also Um, the executive pastor there, David Thompson, his wife, Jen, and they both, it was totally the tightest to them pouring into me. And I feel like there's so many things when it comes to parenting and ministry, um, supporting and loving Mm -hmm. my husband well, um, being a part of a church that I learned from them that I look back and I'm like so grateful for that time there. And I feel like that shaped who I am today as a mom and as a wife. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful, and uh, I'm just, I'm grateful um, that you guys got to to spend some time at the Summit Church because honestly, if you didn't, I wouldn't be able to speak to you right now. For those of you who don't know, Anna Hopper is, um, uh, outside of who she is, she's awesome on her own, but together they are like this uh, super awesome couple. It's She's the, the wife of Andrew Hopper, who is actually my pastor, the pastor of Mercy Hill Church. Um, she like I said before, Anna stands in her own right. I don't want anybody to get it twisted. She stands in her own right. She has her own gifts and talents and unique abilities, but she is the husband of of, of um, Andrew, and Andrew Hopper was sent out of the Summit Church to plant Mercy Hill Church, where I currently am on staff, and so I, thank you for sharing that, Anna. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Um, so we're just going to get into this topic. We're going to get into this topic because it's hot and it's heavy. And if you are listening to this podcast, then you've clicked on it because you saw the title. And so, man, we're talking about, man, is the Bible sexist? Is Christianity sexist? Um, man, because if you're not Christian, then you you there are a couple of verses 
in the Bible, maybe even if you are Christian, that might rub you the wrong way as it re- relates to uh, women in the church, women in marriage, women in life. And so I wanted to talk with an authority on the on the matter. Um, and I honestly, the, the way I'm defining authority is a person who believes Jesus and the Bible and is also a woman. So um, let's just Good. go ahead and get into this. So um, man, like I said, if you're not Christian or you you are Christian, you might think that the Bible is against women. And I want to ask you, why do you think that that is? Um, I think when you think about people, you know, a, a lot of times unbelievers looking at it saying, oh, the Bible is totally against women. I think people come to that conclusion through the lens of like past hurt or frustration. Um, and mm. I think that that hurt can be caused by churches or it can be caused by people who have, um, in a sense, marginalized women and the gifts that God has given them. I love Kathy Keller Mm. is a book that she wrote a book that I'm going to reference a lot throughout the podcast. But she said, um, you know, not only does this disenfranchise half the church when you're thinking about women and their God given gifts, but it amputates the body of Christ. Um, And I Mm. love that because you think about a body, you know, a body is amputated if it's missing a part. And if women are not part Mm. of the church, then it's missing part of its body. Um, So I love that. But I think, too, you know, oftentimes, Um, you think about it like a piece of artwork. You don't walk into an art museum and look at a piece of artwork and just stare at one little piece and decide if the rest of the piece is good, if it's ugly, if it's beautiful, what the artist is trying to convey through the piece of artwork. No, like you step back and you look at the whole thing. Um, Mm. And so I think sometimes believers and unbelievers alike can look at scripture and we can take a verse and we can grab a hold of it and say, this is totally against women and just run with it instead of pausing and mm-hmm. looking at all the verses that are surrounding it saying like, no, like we serve a good God who has been so gracious to give us his word. Like what is everything around mm-hmm. it trying to say? Um, because the Bible isn't against women by any means. Um, gender roles that are a gift from a good God that were meant for our good and for his glory. And I think we have to look at it through that lens of saying like, who is the Mm. giver of these gifts when it comes to being man and woman? And it's a good God. So therefore it's a good gift. Hmm. Thank you. That's a, a wonderful way to think through that. Just to step back and look at the masterpiece that we have in scripture. That's a wonderful way, I think, to, to think through and think about as we're so we're talking about this. So, um, man, we're actually going to take a look at some of these hang up scriptures, uh, the scriptures that some people can get hung up on that that have what some might feel is a sexist bent to them. And so, man, I think the first one, uh, the first kind of section we're going to talk about this is women in marriage. And what we see in the book of Ephesians is we have this idea, and, and this is huge and heavy in Christian culture, this idea that uh, women should, wives should submit to their husbands. And so uh, some, depending on who you are, you're going to get this either from culture, or you're going to get this from the Bible. And I just want to read this real quickly. It says Ephesians 5, 22 says uh, through 24, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husband. Um, Anna, just off gate, first off, 
man, how does that hit you as a woman? Uh, how did it hit you before you a wife? Now that you are a wife, how, how does that hit you, I guess? Yeah, I think for me, um, I mean, I was so excited about becoming a wife um, because I'm like, once I met Andrew, I was like, yes, like this, this is it. I'm like so excited to join this man in ministry, like come alongside of him to support him. Um, I was just super excited about how the Lord was going to use us like um, in ministry. So I think when I read this, honest, if I'm totally honest with you, I have never thought like, what? I have to submit. Um, but I think culture tells women that when you see that word submit, a red flag should go up because ain't no man going to tell me what I can and can't do, you know, um, mm -hmm. which is not right. Um, I think you look at these verses and like I said earlier, you have to stop and say, okay, like, what does the rest of chapter five say? Because when you look at the rest of chapter five, you're going to see the why behind these verses, understanding that the connection with the gospel and like with the artwork, like mm. the grander picture that's being painted in these verses. So if you look at them, it says that wives are called to submit to your husband as unto the Lord. And then it goes on to say, as the church submits to Christ, wives submit mm. to your husbands in everything. Um, but then it also goes on to say, husbands are called to be the head of the wife as mm -hmm. Christ is the church and to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Um, so I think, and as you could tell, I was, that's the teacher in me, um, emphasizing the word as, but, you know, I think we hear the word submit and all these buzzers go off in our head. Like this is bad. This mm. is not right. Um, but mm. if we stop and say, no, the gospel is true, then we came to the table with no rights in all, at all. Like we all came, um, just flat on our faces and Christ calls, called us as believers to submit to him completely. You know, we see that in mm -hmm. Luke 9, 23, it says, if anyone wants to follow after me. So if we're going to be a Christ follower, it says that we have mm -hmm. to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily. That's submitting to Christ. So we, mm -hmm. we look at that and we say, yeah, and that's hard. But we don't look at the word submit to Christ and think, yeah, can't do that. You know, um, so mm -hmm. I think in Ephesians 5, the model of submission, it's not about like, it is about a husband and a wife, but ultimately it's a grander picture of Jesus and the church. Um, and I think that is such a sweet thing when you think about marriage um, and how marriage isn't just about the husband and a wife, but as believers, like our marriage is pointing to a greater marriage. Yeah, um, and good. so if we think about it through that lens, then the word submit, submit should not cause us to like see all these red buzzers. It should be like, God, thank you that you have given us an earthly way to see your relationship with the church, um, with the wife mm -hmm. being represented as the church and the husband being Christ. Um, because that's what our marriages mm -hmm. are called to be a reflection of, you know? Um, and so mm -hmm. if we believe that Jesus gave himself for us, then that submission of us as believers to him as our Lord and Savior is a joyful submission. And so therefore we should want to joyfully submit when it comes to this earthly relationship that God has given us. Listen, listen, Anna, you did a wonderful job explaining all of this, but I'm telling you, like, if I, I can understand the red flag of submit, because like, uh -huh. wrapped up in that is this idea that like, I can't be my own person, you know, right, right. Wrap, wrapped up in the idea of submit is like, I, I, if I, if, if I, you know, if I'm thinking from a woman's point of view and I'm not a woman, so I don't want to, I don't want anybody to think that that's what I'm trying to do, but like, I'm just trying to empathize here. Um, 
if I'm a woman and I hear, man, I should submit to my husband, like, does does that mean that he's the boss of me? Like, what 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 is the Bible saying here when it mm-hmm. says the word submit? Yeah, and I think that's what I I think when you say like you pause and say, okay, what is the grander scheme of this? Just as Christ submitted in his life on the cross to what God had called him to do, to go and to be the sacrificial lamb for us. Like that, that it should be mm-hmm. like, a, okay, this is what God's calling me to do. So as a believer, I'm going to joyfully obey this command, just like I would obey anything mm-hmm. else that God has, you know, that set forth because he's a good God. And so these things are good, but I do hear what you're saying because I think people, like we said in the intro, like there's so many people that have been hurt um, whether it be in a relationship mm-hmm. or they've seen submission modeled completely wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So you have to step back and say, okay, like what is God trying to communicate to us here? Like, and how can I obey that um, and not, and try to like lay down the past hurts um, and mm-hmm. things like that so that you can see it through the way that the gospel is presented in that. Does that make sense? That's really good. Yeah, it does. Um, one of the things that someone else told me, I don't even remember who it was, but it was like, Man, what we see in the picture of the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all equal, mm-hmm. but they have different roles. And so Jesus submits to the Father, not because he is less than, not because he says, hey, you going to boss me around or whatever, or, or because he's superior or inferior. No, 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 no. The, the Trinity shows us this, this triune God who they're all equal, but they just operate in different roles. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was really good. If, if Christ is going to, yeah, what are you going to say? What, no, I'm you no, I was just going to read you this quote from Kathy Keller. She kind of talks about that, of saying like, um, this is her quote. She said, the justice behind God's creation of male and female and his arrangement of the different roles he chose for them may not always be apparent to us. Why one and not the other? But we should expect our, but why should we expect our finitude to understand the infinite, omnipotent, wise, good, loving, gracious justice of God? Perhaps some inkling resides in the dances of the sexes by which we reveal truth about the inner life of the triune God. The rest is clothed clothed in mystery to which we yield with full confidence that it is meant for our good. And I think that speaks to what you're saying, like the idea of the Trinity um, that work. And and I'm going to actually speak to this even later on of like creation, like God created male and female in his image. Like we are mm. both equally created in the image of God, you know. Hmm. Hmm. That's good. So we can get to that. That's good. <laughs> that. Well, why don't we go ahead and get there? Um. We're now this. I would. I would kind of do a little subheading. This. You know. We just talked about women in marriage. Now I kind of want to talk about women in the church because this is where it gets stick. Both of these ideas are very sticky. You mm-hmm. know, women in marriage and women in the church and what the Bible says about all of them. They're very sticky. Um, so let's dive into what it means for women in the church. Okay. So there are two verses that stick out or two sections of verses that stick out. I'm going to read them. Um, I'm going to just go ahead and read them. Um, yeah, so this good. one is first, first Timothy chapter two, verse nine through 14. I'm really going to start at verse eight, but it says this. Um, and Paul is talking to Timothy and he says this, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness 
with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Verse 12, here it is. This is the one, this is the verse. I do not permit a woman a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Well, that's verse 15. Um, but um, Anna, would you do you have 1 Corinthians 14, 35, 35, um, I don't have 35, it pulled up right this second, but I can get it. I, I can I can I can get it. Um, I got actually, you, but... you go ahead and pull it up. Go yeah, ahead and pull it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. First Corinthians 14 verses 34 and 35 um, say, the women should be silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but are to submit themselves. Um, as the law also says, if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, since it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. So. Anna, Anna, Anna. Anna, Anna, yes. Anna, 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 uh-huh. that is in the Bible. Right. That is but, in the Bible. Yes, it's in the Bible. But I think like the beginning of our conversation, you have to think back to like, okay, like we have to look at the whole text and try to understand the context of it, like historically, culturally, socially, um, what was the text meaning to the original audience? Because when we pause and do that, it gives us so much more um, of a better picture of why the writer is saying what it's saying, you know, Um, because Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I think when we come to hard passages like this, like we have to find a way to obey it faithfully, Um, whatever way Mm -hmm. we discover God's revealed will, which is his word that he's given us, um, even when our cultural situations have changed, because obviously our cultural situation has changed. Like women are not wearing mm-hmm. head coverings anymore. Um, that kind of idea, you know, so it's not, you know, so we have to kind of look at it through that lens. But um think going to like starting with First Timothy, I kind of wanted to look at both of these together because I think they kind of go together, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, the big hang up on First Timothy, like you said, is verse 12, um, where it says that women are not to teach or have authority over a man. Um, once again, we come to a screeching halt because we're like, why can't a woman have authority over a man? Like, what's the big issue with that? Um, but it, uh, in studying all this, I thought this was so cool. And I'm going to give you the listeners a couple of resources at the end to kind of dive deeper okay. into this because we don't have a ton okay. of time. Um, but um, a lot of commentators say that it's not... You have to look at the wording. So if you go back to the wording of teach or have authority over man, it's not a or. It should say like and. So teaching with authority over a man um, is how it's translated. Um, so when you think about that, James Hurley, who's a um, he's a commentator, but he said when speaking on the issue of whether teaching or authority are two things or one, and finding the evidence for teaching with authority over man to be the answer. Because when they're separated, he's saying that the grammar and women are abused. Um, because what it's it's not saying that women cannot teach. I'm like, I am a hardcore Jen Wilkin lover. Like she know, teaches the word and teaches it um, with such clarity and such boldness. Um, 
And I just love her. Like she is somebody that I look look up to when it comes to being a woman in ministry and teaching the word of God and rightly handling the word of God. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think when we look at that, we have to say, okay, like what is being said here is that women are not to teach with authority over a man. Because if you, so then zooming out um, right after that chapter two, you go right into chapter three, um, which is where the qualifications for an elder are given. and I think so many times, like we can look at that where women are being instructed to be si- and be silent um, and say like, what? We can't say anything, you know, but when we're when you look at the history behind what's happening in First Timothy and in First Corinthians, it's not that women are being told to be silent, but they're being told to be silent because what's happening is a job that's reserved for the elders, which were the men. That were tasked with judging um, of the personal and corporate faithfulness to the deposit of truth of that time. So, go into First Corinthians. Um, sorry, this is going to be a big chunk of me just talking. Um, but going into First Corinthians and zooming out of like, why was First Corinthians even written? Um, much of it was written to like rein in. Um, the enthusiastic believers of the time, because they had this new freedom of like being a follower of Christ and um, the freedom that's found in the gospel. But they were also like overshooting the mark on some things. Um, Mm -hmm. So it wasn't that um, in these scriptures, they're saying that women cannot in any way um, communicate orally in public gatherings, because in first Corinthians 11, it says every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. So we know that they're not telling them they have to be silent, like they are not able to participate in corporate worship. That is not what Paul is saying. Um, He isn't condemning the women in the worship service, but he's regulating it because of the background. Um, And so the background of what's happening during this time was that these churches didn't have like a pastor, you know, like Andrew's the lead Mm -hmm. pastor of Mercy Hill. Had Mercy Hill been set back in this time, we would have had a traveling pastor, you know, who would have come. There would be different pastors who came in um, to proclaim truth. And so the job of the mm-hmm. elders was to stand up at the end once the um, pastor had given um, his talk and talked about scripture and everything. The elders would stand up and say, Amen, Amen, to almost signal to the rest of the congregation, like, hey, this was the word of God and this was not heresy, what this man mm-hmm. just taught us. Um, and that's like a hefty task if you think about it. Um, and so the elders were tasked with reviewing the remarks of this guest preacher as true. And so the congregation could receive it as the word of God or as false and they needed to reject it. So that is where it's saying that the women were told to remain silent because that was a job that was given to the elders to be able to say like, Hey, what this pastor just said is true and is not heresy. That's what it's speaking to. Um, But I think it's so cool because you think about when Jesus began to teach, like he always started what he was teaching majority of the time with amen, amen, or truly, truly, I say to you. And I love Mm. that because it's like he's saying, hey, I don't need somebody standing up after I teach saying this is true or not true. Like I am Jesus, Um, Mm. you know, so I think, you know, like I said, we have to look at the history of what's being said um, and the context around it. Um, Because it is not saying that women are not allowed to speak like gender based roles in the church. They seem hard, but they're not bad, harmful, unfair or oppressive because they're from a good God. And, 
You know, Andrew's yeah. just finished going through Romans 8. Like, Christ came to bring us more freedom, not less, you know? And so you think about that, and it's like, yes, I have so much freedom in Christ and, like, the gifts that he has given me. Um, because gender roles, as with all other gifts that God has given to humans, um, are to be rejoiced in and they're to be enjoyed. But they're going to look mm. different um, within the local body. And just an example, like a personal example to this, um, as I was preparing, I thought about this, like, I truly believe like that God has gifted me and like has called me to like teach the word and speak and um, as he gives me opportunities. And so in January, I really started praying like, God, give me opportunities. Like I really want to be used um, to be able to teach the Bible and however that's going to look. Well, I had the opportunity to, um, well, I signed on to have these opportunities um, in March um, to be able to speak at Southeastern at one of the conferences they were putting on. Um, mm. And Southeastern is a seminary for the listeners that don't know. Um, but then I also was asked to be um, a retreat speaker at a mother-daughter retreat in North Carolina for a weekend. And I was so pumped because I'm like, God, look at these. Op- like you are totally hearing my prayer and like answering giving me these opportunities to teach hit the pause button. Cause then COVID came. Um, and both of those things were canceled. And I remember thinking like, what in the world here I am praying for these opportunities to use the gifts that I feel like God has given me and that people have affirmed in me. Um, and now these have been taken away. Fast forward a couple of weeks to, um, mercy. Hill. Andrew one day came home and he's like, Hey, Mercy Hill is launching online community groups, and I think you should lead one. Um, I think it would just be a really great opportunity for you to teach and lead and everything. And I was like, well, okay. So I did. uh, And it was the most life-giving thing for eight weeks Mm. to be able to teach the word, to lead women through the word, pray. I mean, it was just incredible. And I remember thinking like, oh, you know, like God's not giving me these opportunities to teach and lead. And then I stopped. And I'm like, no, yes, he did. It might not have been up on a stage like I thought it was going to be. Mm. It might have been through a Zoom call through the computer. But praise God that like he is still a good God that wants to use the gifts that he has given to us. However, That's that good. may look, you know. That's good. That's good. And I'm, I'm really grateful that not only did you do you like answer that call, that desire to teach, but you you're actively trying to do it God's way. You're actively... Yeah. Um, and humbly trying to do it God's way. And, and I think that is so important. Um, I got a few more questions and we're going to wrap it up. Um, so really what you're saying is that, uh, that, that these, the difference between man and woman is not that one is like necessarily more important or more superior than the other. They're just different. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's where so, I would say like the gospel connection is with it is that, you know, in Genesis one twenty seven, like God created man and woman in his image, like right out of the gate. He's saying, hey, y'all are both created in my image. Um, they're mm-hmm. equal equal in value, equally called to faith and redemption in Christ. Um, mm-hmm. But we also have distinct roles within that when it comes to marriage and when it comes to the church, you know, and that. But like we said, like the Bible um, is God's gift to us to be able to understand how it is that he's created the world. Um, and, but we see like, you know, that the Bible teaches male headship, you know, like right out of the gate with the order of creation. Um, mm. 
but let me, let me oh go. let me get into this real real quick I, yeah. just to kind of review just so make sure we get it we're clear i'm gonna ask you is it or is it not shameful for women to speak in a church that's kind of and i don't want to put you in a corner but is it or is it not yeah i don't think it's shameful for you said shameful yes yeah that's what corinthians is saying yeah i don't think that it's shameful I, and like i said i think it's you when you put the pause button and look back on why first Corinthians was written um, and when it's saying for women to be silent, it's saying for them to be silent when the job of the elder of that time was to say like, Hey, what this guy's saying, what this pastor's saying is true or not true. Um, and that was a job that was given to the elders of that time. Um, so I would not say that it's shameful. Like God uses the gifts of women. Women have a unique perspective um, mm -hmm. when it comes mm -hmm. to scripture. You know, and so, it, but it's, it goes back to those distinct roles that God has given us, but we are created equal in his image. Um, and we both, men and women alike, have so much to offer to the church, like the body of Christ. Yeah, like we should yeah. not feel shameful if we feel like God has called us to teach or to proclaim truth. We just have to see how does that fit within your local church? Um, right. 1 Corinthians 11 says, but I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman and God is the head of Christ taking it back every single time. I think looking at it through the lens of the gospel and um, God and his triune relationship with Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's good. That's good. So uh, Anna, as we're about to wrap up things, just, I got two more questions. Then we get out of here. Yeah. Um, no, you're fine. You're fine. You got some great truth and I'm so glad that you shared it with us. Um, Cause you are naturally a teacher, you know, didn't, isn't that what you went to school mm -hmm. for? That's what I went to and, school uh, for. I taught school. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So thank you. Um, but here, here, here's here's kind of one of the last two questions is this, um, man, the scriptures that we just talked about, I think a lot of times they are specifically pulled out just to show the faults of Christianity. And so I kind of want to go in a, in a different direction and say, well, how does the rest of the Bible got out of its way to uplift women despite the cultural norms of the time that it was written? Yeah. Um, I think you look at scripture and women are all through scripture. They are like, mm. it is not a shameful thing. Like you were saying, like that, no, God used women in incredible ways. You know, you think about, I'm just going to run through some examples. Um, first Corinthians 11, five talking about women prophesying. You, mm. I'm going to butcher some of their names, but Priscilla and Aquila, they clarify the gospel to a man in Acts 18, 26. Um, Paul, mm. he refers to Priscilla as a fellow worker. Um, and the, of the gospel in Romans 16. Um, and then in Philippians 4, 3, he's talking about two women. I'm not going to even try to say their names, but he says like these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, like women are on the deck. They are, God is using them. Um, it was women who were the first witnesses to the resurrection who the angel said to them, he gave, gave them the command, like go and tell the disciples. Um, but I think you see that in the New Testament, but then also in the Old Testament, you have Miriam, Deborah, Huldah, Esther, whole book of Esther. Like for such a time as this, that she was in the king's palace and the Lord used her for the story of deliverance and redemption and saving the Jewish people. Um, the book of Ruth, the Lord works through the story, providing um, for his people that needed a king. But the grander picture of that is the redemption with the story of Ruth and Boaz. And the picture that it gives us of Christ's redemption of us, kinsman redeemer. Mm. Um, and then Titus 2, you know, like it, it, the idea of younger women um, being poured into by the older women. 
Um, because mm-hmm. these things that it talks about in Titus 2, like these are all characteristics and traits that don't come naturally. And some of them are, I'll just read them to you because I thought this was cool. It's just, it says, um, in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to ex- excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good. So what are the women to do? Teach what is good so that they may encourage younger women to love their husbands, love their children, be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands. Why? I love this part of the verse. So that God's word will not be slandered, you know? Mm. And so you look at that and you're like, yes, women are to be used. Like God is using the gifts that he has given us Um, because us as women, like, we are all in a place where we are either older and can pour into the younger or we are younger and can be poured into by the older. Um, mm. And that is such a beautiful thing when it comes to the Bible and Christianity. And obviously the Proverbs 31 woman who we all aspire to be, um, you know, but it, but knowing that like she was a worker, she was outside her home working to provide for her family. Mm. Mm. That's good. That's good. Um, oh. There's so many other things. There's so many other things oh, I, I would love to talk about. Anna. Yes. Um, maybe I'll have you back on at some other point. But, um, man, we're just going to go ahead and wrap things up here. I really am very appreciative of, of you and, and the way that you've just taken the time out to um, to be a part of this pro- uh, podcast, but also just the way that you have taken the time to like just share your story in general. And you just are a giver of your time to people. And it's very clear and apparent in my mind uh, that you just are a lover of, of people. You just love people and you do it really well. So um, this is Authentic Footsteps. And so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be um, an episode of Authentic Footsteps if I don't ask this last question, which is, what is the hardest thing about authentically following Jesus? And then what is the best thing about authentically following Jesus? Yes. Hardest thing. I laughed earlier as I was thinking through this, but um, I would say raising kids. Andrew and I have four kids, um, 10, 9, 5, and 3. And I say that authentically following Jesus, raising kids is so hard um, because they make you see your sin all day long. Um, You know, you wake up in the morning, spend time in the word, think, all right, I'm going to crush this day. Like, I've got scripture. I'm like ready to tackle it. And then you walk in and somebody has spilled milk all over the kitchen floor or, you know, whatever it is. So raising kids, I feel like is hard, um, but it is such um, a reminder of God's loving kindness to us um, and really remembering like the grace that I have been given in salvation. Like that is the grace that I need to extend to my kids. Um, So that would be it. But the best thing about it is new morning mercies. Like every single day, like his mercies are new. And for that, I'm like so thankful. Um, And for his goodness to us and giving us his word um, so that we can know him, so we can follow him, so we can have hard conversations about hard parts of scripture. Um, I just feel like that's probably the best thing. And something too that I would say to all of this as we close is that like, um, we could walk away from this and feel so defeated because like, I'm not, you know, walking in the role that God has given me or whatever it is. But we have to remember as women, like our work and our roles play out in our homes and in the church differently with each person, but they also look different in different seasons of life. Um, But whatever it is, I want to leave you with this scripture because I feel like it is such, whatever season you're in, whatever role God has given you in the church, in your home, in your community, like let your prayer be 
um, Psalm 90, verse 17, which says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So whatever you're putting your hands to that God has called you to do, like just pray that he will establish the work of your hands and that his favor will be on you in that. Thank you so much, Anna Hopper. Yes. You just got some gems. You are, you just got some gems. Okay. And I'm, I'm grateful for you. God is good. um, Y'all, this is going to wrap up this episode of Authentic Footsteps, following Jesus for real. I'm your host, Nico Williams. And uh, that was my guest host, Anna Hopper. Thank you. And we'll see you guys next time.